Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today, we got a Q&A. Got a lot of long-form questions today that will utilize the shit out of that form, but thank you. Will allow you to go deeper into them. Yeah, so as always, guys, there is a link in the description of this podcast. You can also find it on my Instagram, uh, the link in my bio, and that is going to allow you to ask any question on the podcast. So you can leave your name or you can... Make it unknown, totally up to you. You don't have to give us an email, nothing like that. Just drop a question and we will provide value and help you out as much as we can. A uh, couple quick things. Um, number one, I put together, I believe it's called an idea list, but basically it's a it's a page on Amazon. I think it's called idea list, but then I can name it. I haven't named it yet, um, but we're going to put a link to that in the description of this podcast. So I will send it to you. Okay. Um, and it is basically all of my recommended shit on Amazon. So I get asked, the amount of book links I've sent over and over and over again is ridiculous. Um, I actually make a good amount of money on Amazon. Yeah. Like Amazon gift cards, really. But like just because I'm sending links out so much for my account and they they pay their affiliates. So uh, I'm not going to bullshit you. It is an affiliate account. So I will make money off of you buying these books. But I figured it was pretty cool because I was using somebody I know's uh, like repetitively. I have it saved on my computer because I'm just like chipping away at the books that are on his And I was like, why don't I have this? So right now there is a ton of books uh, about business, about productivity, about motivation, leadership, fitness, nutrition, like coaching, literally all the books I could think of right off the top of my head that that I get asked about that I've put in there. Um, Even some like stoic books. So a lot of stuff that I've really enjoyed. Those are all there. I'm going to put other things on there too, um, whether it's like... Um, I have a, a productivity timer and just random shit like that, like that I find useful. I will throw them on there too. But for now, it's just books because that's what I get asked about the most. Um, and I get my supplements from First Form and my lifting gear uh, from Giant, both of which sponsor this podcast. And there's links and uh, my discount code for Giant in the description of this podcast. But that is why I'm not putting that kind of stuff on there. So uh, if you are somebody who wants to read the books I've always read and kind of see some of the stuff that I offer, um, that's just going to start living in the podcast description. So you can go check it out now. You can come back later um, when you need to buy new ones or get ideas. I'm going to add to it as I find worthy books and, and things to throw in there. But just know that that will stay in the description of this podcast consistently. So wanted to throw that out there real quick. Uh, otherwise, Let's jump into some questions. Yeah, love it. All right, we got multiple uh, questions by one person. It's from Simply Strong by Sabra. The first one, it says, what did you change for services when you were first starting out? Oh, sorry, that's not what it says, charge. What did you charge for services when you were first starting out? I said I didn't change anything. What do you mean? Yep. when I first started, nothing. I did it for free. And I think that's important, you know, like, um, so there's, there's, I think there's layers to this, like, when I first started doing anything at all, I didn't charge. And I was helping people. When I first started, it was just training. It wasn't nutrition. That's that's the other thing I want people to, to know. Um, I think nutrition is a little bit more, it's a different beast. You, you I mean, you should be certified for training too. But like, you got to remember, you can't just be a trainer and then start doing nutrition for people. Um, I mean, technically you can do whatever the fuck you want, but I, I don't think you should. Uh, so you should go through uh, a series of education things before you decide to start prescribing nutrition plans to people, even if it's just macros. Like I do think that's really important. The other aspect of it 
Because I think there's a lot of experience, uh, life experience, as well as uh, there's different certifications, textbooks, regular books, things like you can do, even getting coached to learn the art of coaching from a, a psychological perspective. You know, because knowing how to calculate somebody's macros is different than giving somebody macros to follow and then making sure they consistently follow them. Because that's where communication, trust, respect, uh, the art of coaching, all these things, right? Psychology, those things come into play quite heavily. Um, So there's more to it. But because of that and many other things, I started with just training. Um, I wasn't certified, but I was just helping my friends. Like I had some lifting buddies and I was just like, yeah, if you want to work out with me. And I was just trying to coach them a little bit as we're working out. Um, And then I got certified and then I was like offering to write programs for people I knew and that were interested or trained with me. Um, and I just did it for free after, I don't know how long, probably a year, you realize that people don't take it seriously unless they pay. And at that point I've become certified. And that's when I worked with a few people, uh, before I got a job as a trainer. Um, I had an internship at the college where I had to train people. So I had to do, um, two, is it trimesters or semesters at college? Semesters. Semesters. So it's like half the year. Yep. Okay. So I had one semester where I had to train two different faculty members and like I had to split it in half. So I had to train, I can't remember, it was two different ladies. Um, I remember Donna, one of them, but I don't remember what the other lady's name was or what she did. Um, It was a long time ago. Yeah, she wasn't a great client, obviously. Donna was great. Um, She ended up sticking with me after the internship, hired me. Uh, And then I did an internship outside of the the college um, at Vigor Ground, all of which I did not get paid for, but I had to go through that to get my degree the degree I did get and everything. And then I started working with some people, like just a couple people outside of that, kind of like an online, I was writing their programs. I was trying to do stuff with them. Um, and I would write, have them fill out a blank check. So it was like $500, eight weeks. It was like $500, date it or don't date it, sign it, write everything out to me. Don't date it. If you don't check in, if you don't follow the program, whatever, I'm going to sign it or date it. I mean, and then I'm going to cash it. If you do everything, I'm going to rip it up Yeah, right in front of you. Um, Jordan Arith was one of those people. Yeah. Um, he did great, lost much weight, it was perfect. Um, so that's kind of how I went about it at first was just trying to get my feet wet and I was just doing it for free or or finding ways to create accountability through financial uh create accountability financially, but um not actually charge them. Because you have to have some kind of if you're just doing it, it, it just doesn't work, right? Uh when I was coaching, training the people that were working out with me, it worked during the session because they were with me, they were enjoying the workout. I was able to kind of coach them through movements and stuff. But when it came to me writing programs and, Hey, text me as you go through it, email me, your check-in, it just didn't work yeah. if they weren't paying. Like Donna, for example, she was accountable because she was a faculty member, which meant I was assigned to her, which meant my whole program from the fitness department knew that I was working with her and the teacher and other teachers knew that she was doing it. That's accountability. Yeah. It's public knowledge at the, in the staff level of, of the college that she is doing this program. They're expecting her to get results. So there's certain things that you have to put in place and it can be tricky if you're not charging to find accountability, but I didn't charge. I just had different ways of putting people in a position where they had accountability essentially. Um, and then when I was an internship intern at the gym, they were paying. I just wasn't getting paid for it because I just had, that was part of the internship. You don't get paid. Um, and it, and you don't train people right when you get there. Um, and then when I actually started coaching people at the gym versus online, it was different. I didn't dictate my prices. So I don't think it really helps you whatsoever, to be honest with you. Yep. Um, I got paid per session like a normal trainer does. Yep. Um, and 
then when I started taking online clients, I think I started at like 150 bucks a month, um, which is, it's funny because I, I say that, I'm like, it's fucking cheap. Yeah. But there's companies out there that, that charge that still. Totally. You get cheap service, <laughs> to be honest with you. And and some people don't need anything crazy. Like if you're not looking for like real coaching, you just need somebody to set Advice. some macros and you don't give a shit if they know how to educate you because sometimes those companies use automated systems to where the person isn't even actually calculating, creating your macros. They're using the software that the company designed and had capital investors build for them. They just punch out numbers and this person is just there to respond to your messages. <laughs> and next month you might be coaching with Stacy versus Rachel last month. You know, you totally. don't fucking know. That's not coaching to me. So, um, but I started out cheap cause I wanted to build my clientele. I wanted to, um, get out there and, uh, I had a baby on the way and told my wife she wasn't gonna go back to work. So I was like, I'm not gonna charge much. I'm just gonna work with a shit ton of people. Yeah. Built that up. And then I just slowly creeped up my prices, yeah. you know? And then once I hired coaches on my staff, they started at 150 and I was way above that. And then crept them up as well as they learned as they grew as our company got more well known so on and so forth but i i think that there's a there's an amount of money that you got to charge that uh at first i think it should feel too little to you it should it should seem too cheap for you um but it needs to be enough to hold them accountable so it's kind of a no-brainer on there and like this is cheap enough where i definitely they'll definitely say yes it makes a sale easier because you got to get people on board and you got to get experience uh and they can consistently do it month after month. But if it's 50 bucks, I mean, and I don't want to sound prestigious with this, but because it sounds prestigious, but like, I'm going to forget about 50 bucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not enough out of my pocket for me to like go, oh shit. I think that's, that's accurate for it. If you're trying to achieve any goal. Yeah. You know, like maybe 50 bucks is a lot for other things, but like if you're trying to achieve a goal to better yourself, mm-hmm. that's, it has to be enough that, like, for example, what's the coffee shop over here that you always go to? Expresso Stop. Yeah. How much do you spend there per month? Uh, you per, don't know. Do you, do you really know? Maybe 100 bucks a month. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Probably yeah. less. Yeah. Who knows? Yep. That's my point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go. <laughs> you know, if you're coaching with somebody and, and I go, how much are you paying? And you go, um, it's too cheap. Yes. You know, you need to be able to immediately go this much. Yep. Because you feel it. And... That's different. But in my experience, usually when there's three numbers, people notice more. Yeah. If it's a recurring bill that is three numbers, meaning a hundred bucks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> for people listening. They, uh, that's when you're like, okay, I notice it coming out. Yeah. You know, that's something. Um, and obviously that price changes for everybody, but, um, yeah, I, I think that's, that would be my answer. Find a number that is going to make sure that they, they notice it coming out. Um, but you probably still feel like it's too cheap and that's fine because you value coaching more than a random person who doesn't know shit about coaching yet. Totally. This is a good follow-up question. It says, how did you manage your schedule while shifting into full online work? So for me, it wasn't much of a shift because I quit the gym. So it's a different, it's a different aspect when you're going from training in person to online training, right? Because Opposed to a normal job to bingo. Because when I made that shift, I'm doing the same thing, but I'm doing it differently. And it's different too when you say, okay, I quit. And I just go on. So what did I do to shift my schedule? I stopped driving to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I better make this shit work. Most people don't do that because you need to pay the bills. And I understand that. Um, 
and and there was a transition period for me, but it wasn't until I was officially not at the gym anymore that the business took off. Um, but the thing that didn't change is like when I was training people, I was training people from like three till eight or 9 PM, depending on the night, right? If it was strength camp, I was there later. If there was no strength camp, I was, wasn't there as late, but either way I'd get there at about like two, two thirty, get prepared. And then I was coaching people in the afternoons. Um, and a lot of trainers don't do it that way. They do like a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon. I think that's a mistake because it makes you more burnt out. I, I was tired, but I was busy. It was just like client, 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 just nonstop the whole time I was there. Um, cause I'd rather have one period of time. I'm at the gym, be super busy. But during the morning, all morning I was working on my online business. So I would go train in the middle of the day and I would film it for content. I was writing newsletters in the morning. I was creating programs on the weekends. I was like all day. I was doing things for my online business, trying to create it and get recognized. And then I would go to the gym and train people. And then usually I was like kind of documenting some of that too. And then, so the only thing that changed is like when I finally left the gym, I had a few online clients and I, I basically just had more time in the afternoon to create more content yeah. until I filled it with time spent working with clients yeah. online. Right. So it was like basically like, okay, now I'm just going to do twice as much content. I'm going to be able to go to gyms more, speak at for like seminars, do lives, do the podcast more. I just doubled everything I was doing from a content perspective and a networking perspective um, until I started gathering clients. And then it became half my day client work, half my day content. Totally. You know, so I didn't stop working all fucking day for quite a while. Yeah. So nothing shifted. It was just, I'm no longer training people in person, so I'm going to create content about training until that's filled up with online clients. Yeah. So I just remember you, you like, even when you get to the gym, you get there an hour, hour and a half early and just sit over there on your laptop and write blogs or whatever. Yeah. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I was nonstop, dude. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Still are. Yeah. Still are. 100%. But I, the, the just only different. Gr- yeah. Yeah. The only difference is that I actually. Honestly, if I didn't have you Blakely, were building instead of managing. Yeah, and if I didn't have Blakely, it would be totally different. Yeah, honestly, I mean, not that I wouldn't want to spend time with Shannon, obviously, but yeah. um, because she's waiting for me at home, it's like that's like I shut off now. And when she goes to bed, sometimes I still got to get some work done. That's the kind of stuff that people don't think about or see, though. Yeah. You know, it's still like I still grind all day, and then I'll go home, and then some people ask like, "How do you have that balance?" Or do you, you know? And that's why I want to get Shannon on the podcast because it's like, well, I do have pretty good balance, but that doesn't mean like, you know, I get home at between five, five thirty. I'm spending a few hours with Blakely. You know, I read her a book. Then Shannon puts her to bed. Sometimes I'm back to working. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I got to get some extra shit done. So yeah. it is what it is. Yeah. So, but that's entrepreneurship. Cool. All right. We got one more here from Sarah. It says, I have a client. I am currently taking through a reverse diet after 15 week cut. They've just found out that they have to have surgery in two weeks and won't be able to lift for four weeks post surgery. So they're having surgery in two weeks and they won't be able to lift four weeks post surgery. Should we increase the maintenance fast to promote recovery post surgery or increase slower since movement will be going way down? Good question. Really good question. Um, the, the, Thought process, so the, the idea or the thought process that going to maintenance will speed up recovery makes sense because typically if we're at maintenance, we're less stressed on the body. Um, if we eat more calories, that's more nutrients to supply the body with. However, if your maintenance is 2,500 calories and then you get injured, now your maintenance is 2,000 because you're not moving. So like you said, do we keep it low because her activity will drop, her, his or her, I don't know what she said, activity will drop, well, the answer is yes to both of them. You would stay at maintenance because there's no point of going in a deficit and creating more stress on the body when it's trying to heal and recover. 
Um, and you have far less motivation yeah. when you're injured and you're sitting around doing nothing, basically waiting. Don't slap a deficit at them. Um, except some people do really well with that. Some people are like, I'd rather not eat and whatever. They need some discipline during that period of time. Actually, that might be great for them. Assess the client. But even if we do go, what I would suggest being maintenance, because maintenance probably will lead to a faster recovery, your maintenance is going to be your deficit. So like if normally 2,000 calories is a deficit for you, well, once you're not moving and you're on crutches or whatever the situation is, that deficit is not your maintenance because you're not moving. Totally. You know, so um, I would say you probably do want to go to maintenance, uh, but you don't move up to maintenance. If you're in a deficit right now and you're about to have surgery, you probably just stay there. Um, the thing I would say is that we have to also, outside of stress management, mainly from like cortisol production and such, we have to consider what are the things about a diet at maintenance that would influence the speed of recovery. The, the main component is going to be protein. So if we look at amino acids being at a higher degree, that's probably going to speed up recovery of muscle tissue as well as tendons and ligaments. If we look at the, the uh, I don't know if they would be called subsets, but like collagen, which is a type of protein. Collagen is going to help with bones, tendons, ligaments as well, and inflammation, right? And the amino acid glutamine, which you can actually add on top of that, might help as well. Uh, glutamine is usually best for like gut health and stuff, but there is some research to show um, higher levels of amino acids, mainly glutamine, is it might be beneficial for traumatic injury repair. Uh, they've done it with like burn victims and stuff. Um, now, is it this only helps burn victims? Probably not because I don't think the body has a special supplement for burn heal. It's just that skin. it's tissue, you know? Um, so do we have a high protein diet with glutamine added in on top of that, maybe adding some extra collagen? Do you need to be at maintenance for that? No. It's just that when you go to maintenance, most likely you're also going to have extra amino acids, glutamine, you know what I mean? But you don't have to. So um, I would focus on those things. That's going to speed up recovery quite a bit. Um, I personally would focus on creatine. I think creatine monohydrate, there's no research to support it speeding up recovery of an injury, but there is research to support um, that you're less likely to get injured. And there's also research to support it hydrates muscle better. It speeds up recovery. It helps with neurological components, nerve, like why not, you know? Um, I would probably add magnesium in there because that's another one that is, is potentially going to help. Um, a lot of these, again, not calorie related necessarily, just nutrient related. And then even if we just consider, uh, I don't like talking about inflammation too much because I think inflammation is like the boogeyman and people freak out about it. It's not that big of a deal. We sometimes don't even know what inflammation is. But if we look at anti-inflammatory foods that might lower inflammation, which could speed up recovery, it's adding blueberries, ginger, you know, random things, olive oil. Like it's not adding calories. It's choosing better foods. And really it's eating like a fucking adult. <laughs> you know, it's just eating real food. Um, don't use Pam canola oil. Pour some extra virgin olive oil in the, in the, the pan, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's the stuff that I would be focusing on. I mean, you don't need tons of extra calories for that. You just need to be smart with what you do with your calories. Love it. Totally. All right. We will move on to the next one. We got one coming from Samuel Lee, 93. It says, what is your recommended window of time for eating prior to a workout? In what situations would you cause your recommendations to differ? Um, I don't know why, but I love when their names rhyme. Samuel Lee? 93. Oh. Like when their Instagram names? Yeah. I don't know why. Um, you're going to get a better answer today, Samuel. <laughs> Cause you're Samuel Lee 93. Um, all right. So 
what are my recommendations for peri-workout nutrition? What? Is that what that is? What What do you say? What is your recommendation window of time for eating prior to a workout? Okay. So peri-workout would be pre-intra-post. It's just like the whole window, but he's oh, okay. specifically saying pre. So okay. um, specifically for pre, and, and then when also, would that change? Hold on. One, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep, so what yep. situations would it be different? There we go. Um, so typically I'm recommending anywhere between one to three hours prior to training, you're eating something with protein and carbs and a low amount of fat. Um, general recommendations are pretty simple. If you have a higher volume training program or a longer duration training session, which could also include endurance, which I'll get to how this differs, but in general, endurance, if you're running for a really long time, that's a technically a training session and it's a really long one. High volume training sessions are typically longer if you're doing bodybuilding and stuff like that. If you're doing a uh, 30, 45 minute boot camp class in a group setting, you don't have to worry about this as much is my point. Um, but for those who are lifting with higher volumes, and they want to maximize that pre-workout window. Um, research goes back and forth, but that recent meta-analysis did support pre-workout carb and intra-workout carb for higher volume training sessions. So in that regard, my, my recommendation is typically one to three hours prior. If you go much closer than an hour, um, you're going to be, your body's going to be in the middle of digestion. So if you're, racking up the squat bar and your stomach's gargling because you're trying to digest your meal. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Your, your body. And if we think of a neurological perspective, this is also why it's actually good to, uh, not eat immediately post-workout. You either want to have a shake with carbohydrates in it, like powdered carbs. Cause it speeds up like the digestive process is so easy or go through some like breathing drills, like meditate for a little bit. Like for me, the drive home getting home, chilling out, then I finally eat, that does the same thing. But what it's doing is it's the, the carbohydrates are spiking insulin. That's helping the nervous system. The, the breathing does the same thing. It doesn't spike insulin, but it calms the nervous system down. Me calming down on my way home, same thing. I'm, I'm taking myself from sympathetic, so fight or flight, to parasympathetic, rest and digest. When I go into parasympathetic mode, rest and digest, my body is in a more calm neurological state and it'll be easier for me to digest my food because blood flow, uh, Oxygen, like it's sending basically attention to the gut in the okay. digestive tract. When I train and your cortisol goes up, adrenaline goes up, sympathetic nervous system goes up, it goes to your arms and your legs. Blood flow to the limbs because that's fight or flight and that's going to be better for training. My point with that is if you finish a training session and adrenaline's still high and your, your nervous system's amped up, what makes you think you're going to be able to digest and absorb nutrients well? You won't. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to be digesting during our session from a pre-workout window because it's the same exact thing but the opposite. If my body's focusing on digesting food, it's not sending blood and attention to the limbs to get me into a nervous system mode that allows me to perform at a high level, right? So um, we want some time. Now, the closer to your, to, to your training session, so that one to three hour window, the closer you are to one hour from your workout, the less fats and fiber you're going to want in that meal. The further away from the workout, closer to that three hour window, you can have more fiber and fats. Fiber and fats both do the same thing in that they slow the digestion down of the carbohydrates. So it's, it's going to be a more sustained energy source. You're not going to have this big drop. Um, I also like pushing it closer to that two to three hour window because you can have more fats in there and that slower release of glucose, um, the slower blood sugar response, you're less likely to go hypoglycemic. So this happens to me um, a lot if I have a high volume training program and I'm a little depleted and like I get done with a session here and I'm driving home and I'm like shaking and it's like a diabetic, like I, my blood sugar's low. Totally. I'm not going to faint, but I recognize that you feel very anxious yeah. 
So I'll like get home and like grab pretzels. I'm and Chan's like, I'm cooking dinner, like chill out. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be a dick. I'm like fucking shaking right now. And it doesn't process with her. It's very weird, but it's because I train super hard and the carbohydrates digest too quick. Yeah. Um, sometimes that happens with people, uh, with intra-workout carbohydrates too, but basically pushing close to that two, three hour window allows you to have something with a little more fat and fiber. So for example, my pre-workout meal, um, which I just had before the podcast, protein powder, oats, almond butter, right? I put other stuff in the baking powder, cinnamon, all that stuff, but oats are starchy carbs, but they have a little bit of fiber in it. Protein powder is obviously protein powder. And then the almond butter is fats. So the fiber and the fats in the starch and the protein, it all slows down. It's an easier digesting, slower slower absorbing meal for my workout that usually comes two to three hours later. Yeah. You ever, um, you ever do flavored al- almond butter? No. No? Like, uh, like chocolate or any cinnamon. Or, uh, yeah. Like, I didn't even know they made that. Oh yeah, dude. Damn. Oh yeah. They have like little packets at like Safeway. Oh, like Justin's. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't get Justin's brand. I get the, um, Marantha. Oh, once I, anyway, <laughs> I don't explore foods. Yeah. That's a problem. I like to go to the shelf and I'm like, it's not even because it doesn't fit my macros. I just go, okay, there's like the butter. flavor's almond. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it's going to be for the next two years. Yeah. And I just leave it. Um, but yeah, I would go, you know, like, like, so for me, I usually eat at one and I train at three, totally. two hours ahead, yeah. you know, three thirty sometimes two two and a half hours. So, um, but that's usually what I would recommend. The only way it would differ is basically, uh, the longer the duration of training, the more carbohydrates you have. The higher the volume, the more carbohydrates you have. Um, and the leaner you are, the more important this becomes. So the leaner you are, typically the more depleted you are, and the faster you're going to deplete um, your glycogen because you have less body fat to actually burn off as fuel. So you're just burning straight carbs. So the leaner you are, the more carbohydrates you're probably going to have to replenish pre and post-workout, which means that you might need uh, – you. you're probably going to feel the effect of not having a pre-workout meal more so if you're super lean and then if you have a really long workout obviously you need more carbs or you need to add in a intra-workout carb so if you're doing a super high volume bodybuilding program and you're lean this is where you have that meal i just said and you have an intra-workout carb like first forms intraformance that i talk about all the time which is like 25 grams carbs so nothing crazy but it does give you some extra carbs uh if you are an endurance runner same exact thing except you would probably use uh, in their products it would be ignition which is like 40 grams of like pure starch because when you're doing super long distance it's purely glycolytic and you're just burning fuel so those lean runners that run a long time they're burning like a gram per minute or some shit like that um i'm pretty sure it is one gram per 60 seconds and so you think about that you eat a cup of rice that's 45 grams of carbs, 45 minutes into your run, it's gone, you know, if you think about it like that. So obviously we're going to have a little bit of glycogen stored before that. But if somebody's doing, which isn't unrealistic for those kind of athletes, six-hour run, which just sounds so ridiculous. I would never <laughs> – I'd be so bored. But that's a lot of fucking carbs. Yeah. So they have to have three cups before, and then about two hours into their session, they're they're drinking like a out of a Camelback or something, you know, carb solution as they run throughout every ten minutes or so. Um, so that's the only way it differs is like the the duration and the volume of the program makes you need more carbs or makes it so you need to add an intra workout carb, and then um, fats and pro or fats and fiber further away, less fats and fiber closer to the workout. Um. Yeah, and the leaner you are, the more important all this is. Totally. So, cool. All right, we will move on to the next one. It comes from CK. That one doesn't rhyme, but it says, "Is it natural to have a weaker side of your body? Is it worth 
it to do an extra rep or two on your weaker side to keep up with your other side. Is that, I'm assuming they're doing like single leg or something. Yes. So uh, basically, um, yes, it's common. Not everybody has it. Um, and I think it is worth it. I think that more people than not have one arm or leg that's a little bit smaller or bigger than the other, and it's a little bit more dominant, right? There's a lot of people that compensate and shift left and right. Um, and this is the importance of unilateral training. Unilateral training being single arm or single leg will allow us to compensate less. If you compensate less, as you overload the body with weight or, or volume and reps, you're less likely to cause uh, injuries from this, right? So if you like, for example, with my hip, because of my knee surgery, I always like shift to the one side. If I don't correct it or I don't use unilateral training to help build the strength on each side individually, I will continue to overload and stack weight on top of a bad squat, a yeah. compensated squat, a shifted squat. That's going to cause me low back issues. And it did all the time until I started squatting in front of a mirror and seeing what I was doing and shifting. Um, and so unilateral training can be your way to avoid that or to improve those imbalances. And sometimes it does require you to do an extra rep or two or – um, I usually don't like adding weight on the one side, um, but basically you're going to want to take one side closer to failure. So like if you're doing three sets of 10 per side um, at a two RIR, maybe you stop at eight with the one side and 10 on the bad side, or you do, uh, I'm sorry, a two RIR. I don't know if I said that. I might've said eight, like RPE, but um, two RIR. So for example, if you're doing sets of 10, you would do 10 with that RIR on the good side, but on the bad side, you still do 10, except now it's a zero or a one RIR because uh. it's more difficult, but you still go to 10. So you're keeping the rep the same, but you're choosing a weight that's more intense on the weak side so that you push that side closer to failure. And that's not enough to really like crush your nervous system or cause negative recovery issues that linger after the session. It's you're just pushing that side a little bit harder. So you got to do something for it. Um, and in general, just doing more unilateral training period is going to help the issue. Um, but yeah, it's super common and I definitely think it's worth adding unilateral training and then doing something to increase the effort or the intensity or the volume or the load or something on the weak side to, to kind of make it catch up until both sides are equal. Yeah. doesn't always mean you need to add a rep. That's an easy way to do it. Uh, but if you're comfortable gauging your, your effort with RIR or the RPE scale, do, you know, leave a couple in the tank on the one side, but that's going to force you to take it to near failure, if not to failure on the, on the weak side. Yep. Love it. That's good. All right. We will move on. Got a couple more here. Uh, we got one from Wyatt. Wyatt Lee. says, can you burn sodium or does sodium intake even really matter? Um, I do not believe you can burn sodium. You deplete sodium technically. Um, I mean, and this is where like, I mean, this is semantics, but I mean, do you even really burn fat? I mean, honestly, like physically, no, Yeah, I mean, if we think of like the physiological process, you're not like fucking torching it off your body. Like that's just how they call it. Lipolysis is the process of mobilizing fat tissue. So like, like burning fat is fat mobilizing. Yeah. It's fat mobilization. That's what go. like scientifically, that's what it's called. So that's what I mean. Like, are you decreasing really, the amount of fat in your body? Yeah, is that's the mobilization mobilization of fat tissue. Okay. You're mobilizing it, and you are getting rid of it. You are, I guess, you could say you're burning it for energy. Where you're you using going? it for energy. Yeah. Um, you're burning carbs. You're using carbs. I mean, it's all the same thing. Yeah. But uh, sodium 
that wouldn't be the case. It's it's being depleted or excreted through through fluids. So typically, um, for example, if you if it's super hot, you're training outside and you're sweating your ass off, you're going to sweat a lot. When you sweat, you are sweating out sodium and electrolytes. Electrolytes are in sodium. So the nutrients in electrolytes are very important. And if you are sweating it out or if you take diuretics and you're peeing it out, you're excreting sodium through your urine and your, your sweat glands. Uh, that's why like dogs love licking skin because salt is in the sweat. Sweat is sweaty or sweat is salty and they want that. It's fucking gross, but damn it, Bubba. Bubba loves shins. It's <laughs> weird. It's always shins, shins and feet. Yeah. Um, Blakely will be just like eating pancakes and I can hear Bob and I walk around the table and he's just licking her toes and oh, she's just like dude. sticking her toe out, letting him lick. And I'm just like, God, that is gross. What are you doing? Bubba likes it. I'm like, I know he does, sweetie, but that's really gross. Like, do you, are you enjoying it? Like <laughs> that would tickle so much. Like I don't want him doing that. I'm trying to eat pancakes. It's fucking hilarious. Um, <laughs> dude, he, uh, he killed a frog yesterday over there. You know how he did it? Like did to death? No. <laughs> I mean, that's the topic um, we're on. <laughs> he he suffocated it with his belly. Oh, nice. He fell asleep on a frog. <laughs> I don't know if the frog was like playing dead, like I'm not going to move and Bubba just didn't see it. Yeah. But I was like, come on, bud, let's go and got him up and there was a frog there and I was like, what the fuck? And I like kind of like poked it and it wasn't moving, but it was like slimy in there. Oh, Like it wasn't no. like a, you know, they're like petrified if they stay in the warehouse yeah. overnight and it's yeah. like hot. Yeah. No, dude, it was like brand new. <laughs> And he was not budging. I I tried for a while to sa- save him, and I was like poking him and stuff. But then I flushed him. But it's like, man, Any- suffocate him. Um. Anyway, so you just you excrete sodium with your sweat glands and with your urine, right? And uh, it's important to replenish that because uh, yes, sodium matters. Sodium is really fucking important. Um, it's not necessarily important for people to supplement with sodium. Like there's like like the LMNT, like the, which is like element. I think is what they're getting at. But it's basically like because sodium minerals, those are elements, but the packet you drink, it's like salty and it's, it's like replenishes sodium that is designed for people training hard on a low carb diet. I think there's utilization for people who even aren't on a low carb diet to be honest with you, but that's who it's marketed to. Cause it was marketed to the keto crowd. Um, because when you drop, um, carbohydrates, you rely more heavily on sodium mm-hmm. for neurological and physical performance because sodium helps muscle cramps. Sodium helps muscle pumps. Sodium helps hydrate the muscle, all of the things that carbohydrates also do, which means if you're keto and trying to train hard, you're more likely to get muscle cramps, get less pumps in the gym. It's also why studies show that keto is not great for building muscle, right? Or strength. Um, cause you're removing your primary fuel source for training hard. So um, sodium works alongside carbohydrates, but even on its own, it's going to help with uh, getting a better pump in the gym. It's going to help with keeping you hydrated so um, you can have energy. Um, you can store water properly. You can um, recover. You can avoid cramps. There's even some neurological components that are useful for it. Um, some sodium uh, and, and really minerals and electrolytes specifically are helpful for your thyroid gland as well. So uh, 100%, there's a lot of reasons to to have salt in the diet. And I think it's bad. I mean, so for example, one of the minerals in, that you can find in most salt, like if you get good salt and it's not removed from it is no iodine. Way. Well, yeah, but like iodine is a nutrient within it. So yeah. iodine is extremely helpful for your thyroid. So a lot of people have thyroid dysfunction. You add the iodine in their diet and, and it fixes itself, right? So it's not like this crazy complex thing. It's part, partly why thyroid dysfunction and being overweight in general is uh, very minimal in Japan and some of these Asian 
countries. But if you look at their diet, they're eating seaweed and kelp constantly and a lot of uh, sushi and things from sea. They all have uh, a lot of um, iodine. I don't, I mean, sodium, like soy sauce is salty as fuck, but I don't know if it could be made with non-iodine based salt because they remove iodine sometimes. Um, But they eat enough fish from the sea and a lot of seaweed and kelp. Those are normal things in in an Asian culture diet. There's a lot of iodine in there, you know, and I don't know many overweight Japanese people. I don't know any. I mean, not that haven't been you, born and raised here. I was gonna say, you friends with a bunch of Japanese people. I mean, I I, I know what you mean. You know like, what I mean? Generically, yeah. Yes. If you go to those cultures Absolutely. in the country, there's none. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, um, and it's partly because of that. Yeah. You know? Um, so uh, they also eat uh, a lot of fun fact. They they will do a lot of like uh, miso soup before sushi, for example. Like, they have different soups like that and stuff that um, a lot of them are really, really good for your digestion. They typically don't have many digestive issues either because they have practices that uh, improve their digestion. Not in America. No. <laughs> One of them is the soup. You eat soup. It, there's, like, enzymes, probiotics. There's different kinds of soups and stuff that help. Seaweed salad is something you eat before. Um, so sometimes good. that is uh, even kimchi is as well, but fermented. Those are natural probiotics and such. Um, they eat with chopsticks takes a long fucking time to eat with chopsticks, but that slows you down. You're less likely to overeat, which has been shown in research as well. Not here. We're like bigger plates, bigger forks. (laughs) Let's get fat, America. You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Bigger. The the proportions. I wrote a, uh, I I saw this lady in my neighborhood on a bike and I immediately thought of a Instagram post that I just typed up as soon as I got home. And because uh, she was on a bike and uh, the bike had an electric motor on it. So it was pedaling for her. She's like smiling. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck is the point of this? Let's go get some exercise. Let me turn this on. <laughs> and it's just pedaling for you and you're just smiling. It's like, come on now. Like, you ride one of those every day. A motorcycle. What is that? Come on. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I don't get on the motorcycle to get exercise. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I wrote this post and it's like, it's funny how the history of America has consistently tried to make us fatter over time. You know what I mean? So like we have, uh, and what I wrote, I was like, uh, get to your destination by horse. Let's make a car. You'll get there faster. <laughs> Take the stairs. Fuck that. Go straight up on an elevator. Yeah. Like, and I kept going and then it was like, and it was like, uh, you're going to walk to the bus. Now nah, there's birds on every quarter. You can ride a scooter. <laughs> Want a bike? Let's put an electric motor on it so it'll pedal for you. It was just like everything. You really think about it. You're like, holy shit. Yeah. Convenience. We're, just, we're obsessed with convenience. Yes. It's insane. Yes. Manual labor. Let's make a machine. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, there's a lot of things that that's how we are progressing humankind. So yeah. I'm not against it, but I'm against electric bikes. Are I, mean, you know? I mean, I mean, I'm not, like, again, I've said this before. I don't want to go back to, I'm not going to build my own house. I'm not going to. I mean, I run an online business, Yeah, you know, so. My my dad has a very, and my, both my parents have very nice electric bikes, but they go, like, up Mount Rainier to Paradise and, like, go on treks, you know. My mom and, and stepdad have the same exact ones. So. Yeah. I, and I give them shit, too. Yeah. But, and you can pedal. Like, they're, I get it. And they're probably fun. I yeah. mean, let's be real. I yeah. get it. My thing is this. Like, if you're, so, like. My mom got one because they wanted to go on these, like, really long things to sightsee. Yep. Totally different. Yeah. I could get it. Like, again, I didn't get a motorcycle yeah. to get exercise. Yeah. Like, if you're, if you're pedaling around the neighborhood or, like, we, there's, like, all these – everybody in my neighborhood has electric scooters. I'm sure, yeah. They're just cruising around. All these parents are just, like, cruising around. I'm like, I mean, we're in a cul-de-sac. You can't just, like, 
Can't walk. <laughs> <laughs> this is crazy. It takes too long. Yeah. Anyway, so much for sodium. All right, cool. We will move on to the last question here. Uh, it's a long one. It's from Sandy. Uh, it says, I am a fairly new in-person trainer. I have a client who works full-time, a full-time job during the week and also works three to four bartending shifts a week where she is always on her feet and often carrying heavy things. She has chronic back pain because she broke her back a few years ago at work and it also has major knee issues that she really never did anything for. I'm sure the work on her feet is not helping the situation, but she recently has lost 30 to 40 pounds very quickly and said it and said to do it. She ate no more than a thousand calories per day and took a few spin classes per week. So she recently lost 30 to 40 pounds in three to four months. She is now strength training with me, and I'm helping her reverse diet, but I still don't think she is eating enough to support all of her activity. She's telling me that she's up to 1,200 to 1,500 calories per day. She was, she was, she just was told she tore her calf muscle, and it seems to have come out of nowhere. I'm starting to think because she does not rest or recover enough all, at all between the heavy work on her feet and the strength training sessions, her body is starting to force it to, with injury. I've also I've always heard the body will force you to rest when it has to. Am I correct on thinking this? I'm looking for more guidance on helping her understand her situation and how important it is to rest and eat enough for recovery. And she's just going to end up in this never-ending cycle. Thank you for any input. Love the podcast and all your content. Yeah, um, I think I think there's truth to it, but I think it's just an old wives' tale saying. You know what I mean? Like your body will force. It's not literally like working against you to be like, all right, well, we're going to just cause an injury. You know, it's like an apple a day keeps doctor away. Yeah. I mean, there's some truth to that, you know, eat healthy and you won't have to go to the doctor. That's the whole point. But it's not like literally there's something special about an apple. Um, the, uh, so I think there, there's, there's like that. There's, uh, there's another one that is very relevant to this that, um, I just had maybe it'll come back. Um, so there's a few things I would do with them. And then there's, there's like, I, I mean, I would just agree with you. I think that at the end of the day, your body isn't going to force rest on you, but it would seem that way. Um, oh, the the one I was thinking of is is um, like don't ask for strength, or God will give you a reason to be strong for it. Like that's a saying, right? Because like sometimes the best people have the worst things happen to yeah. them, and you would think like the opposite would happen. But is it true that like they're strong and good individuals, so bad things happen to them, so they can handle it? No, it's just circumstantial and they're more able to handle it because they're strong and they're good people. Um, but I think that if you're somebody who is consistently training and you are starting to become overtrained, your muscles aren't fully recovering. If your muscles aren't fully recovering, then what's happening is you're, you're training on a, like, so if you don't fully recover, let's say you only recover 98% and then you train hard again. And then the next time it's 96%, then it's 94%, then it's 90%. Then it's 85%. At some point, you're going to get to a point where you're still training and you're only 50% recovered ever, right? You're going to get injured because your your muscles aren't ready to fire. You're telling them to fire. Your muscles aren't ready, aren't hydrated, and you need them to be hydrated. Um, tears, uh, strains, sprains, all these kind of things are more likely to happen if you're depleted, if the muscle doesn't have hydration in it, if it's it's having more cramps, all those kind of things lead less sodium if you're depleted all those things lead to more cramps cramps lead to strains right the problem is is if you're a highly stressed individual and you're training really hard to you're constantly amping up your nervous system 
cortisol is elevated constantly. Cortisol can help convert and increase adrenaline. Adrenaline makes you go. So this is why you could be, you could be on crutches, right? And if a car falls on your baby, you're going to fucking throw those crutches and pick up the damn car. And there's that old story of the lady picking up the goddamn car because her daughter or son got ran over. Yep. And it's a true story. She literally did. There was pictures of it. Fucking picked up the back of a car, just deadlifted it, got the baby out. Why? Because cortisol, adrenaline, she probably hurt her back. She probably was so fucking taxed after that, that lady. <laughs> I'm assuming so, yeah. But in the moment, yeah, she was able to do it. And she was able to care for her kid. Um, that, you know, that, I mean, that's a thing. It's, it's like, and, and these people are, they're savages, they're animals, so they're a different breed, but like Navy SEALs. After a week and they haven't eaten and they've just drank some water and they're still not sleeping because they got to like, they're on like a crazy mission. How are they able to perform? Like the body will do amazing things when it's under a lot of stress. So sometimes people are literally just running on adrenaline. And when you're running on adrenaline, it's because cortisol is elevated and that's acting as a fuel source to help. Cortisol is a mobilization hormone too. So it's going to take fuel and burn muscle. It's going to burn, um, fat and all that stuff. But if somebody's lean and they're keep riding on that cortisol wave, it's going to start burning muscle for fuel. You burn muscle for fuel. You can bet your bottom dollar. You're going to be depleted and drained and that's going to cause a strain or an injury. So, um, it's not that your body literally is just like, okay, now I'm going to teach you a lesson, but typically that's how it seems because you just get to that point where your body can't do the things you're trying to get it to do because it's not fed enough. It's not hydrated enough. It's not recovered enough. Totally. And that's probably where she's at. You know, what I would do is, is explain that and rub this injury in her face without rubbing it in her face like an asshole. Right. Because to an extent you have to explain like this injury happened because of this and we can prevent this going forward. If we work on these things, you know, she needs more carbs, she needs more calories, she needs more protein, needs more hydration, better sleep, less training, you got to beat those things into her. And sometimes it takes something like this for them to finally be like, fuck, okay, you're right. You know? Um, and then I would also say this, like going forward, I would probably implement uh, slow eccentrics, tempo-based training, stuff like that, because slow eccentrics and slow tempos with resistance training, like loaded exercises, like if you're doing a squat with a six second negative, one second pause, three second positive, like slow tempos has been shown to improve strength and resiliency of your tendons and ligaments. So it's worth throwing in there. Totally. So, especially because she's already had injury. Yeah. So that's what I would do. That's how I would explain it. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you need any help whatsoever, we are coaches. We are professionals. This is what we do for a living. Head over to taylorcoachmethod.com slash online dash coaching if you want to apply to work with us and you want us to completely tailor everything for you to guarantee your results moving forward. We appreciate you guys listening and we will catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>